I have five children. The oldest is nine, and um, and the youngest is nine months. I have four boys and one girl. My girl is the cream filling and the Oreo cookie of our family, so she's right in the middle. Two girl, two boys, then my girl, and then two boys after. Stop it! Stop it! When people ask about my family, that's what I always tell them. Five kids. Um, and then every time I do, there's a part of me that um, kind of like in the back of my mind that says, well, don't forget, you, you have another baby. And um, so Anna, she was our second child. And she, um, she was stillborn. That was my sister-in-law, Jody Heiselt, and this is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. This is not a pregnancy podcast. These are stories about you. Today, it's mostly about Jody and Adrian. Jody and I were roommates in college. We dated the Heiselt boys at the same time. They live next door to us, and we spent a lot of time tossing a frisbee around, rock climbing, cooking, and eating together one summer. By the end of the summer, Micah and I were engaged, and Jody and Adrian waited until after we were married and things had settled down a bit before they got engaged. Very thoughtful and patient of them. Suffice it to say, Jody is one of my favorite people, and she's probably going to be one of yours too by the end of the story, which I want to get to as soon as we can. So let's do it. Twenty-two, twenty-three. I'm trying to think. Do I do the math? I had Simon when I was twenty-three, so I think. Did I have Adam before you had Simon, or um, after? No, after. They're about six months apart, I think. Okay. Because I was in school, I remember that. Oh God, I don't remember this. So I think I think he must have turned twenty-four the week after. It was two thousand and seven. So you would have been twenty-three, almost twenty-four, right? That sounds right. Yeah, she was born a week before my birthday. Yeah, it was eight years ago. So I was, um, I guess, 26. Okay. 26 and then 27 as well. So it was kind of the, my birthday was kind of in the midst. So it was eight years ago, and they were young, fairly newly married, and getting their family started. Yeah. I When Clark was nine months old, we kind of, uh, I don't know, I had read somewhere that... Um, for your health or I don't know, something that it's best for your children to be spaced between 18 and 24 months apart or something like that. I don't know. I read it nine years ago, but, um, so in my mind, I wanted them to be about 18 months apart. And so when Clark was nine months old, um, 
we got pregnant again. And um, I'll say it wasn't that it was, we wanted to have another child in that range, um, but she wasn't necessarily uh, planned. I mean, if that makes any sense, it was kind of like, oh, oh good, we are pregnant. We, we guess we didn't expect it to be so soon. Actually, it was really, really easy. I had no symptoms. I had no, I, I missed a period and that's how I knew uh, that I was pregnant, but I did not have any of the same symptoms that I had had the first time around. I had no morning sickness. I had no, um, you know, no nausea. No, I was not overly exhausted. I mean, maybe a little more tired than normal, but not extreme, um, like, the first pregnancy. And so I thought, wow, this is great. This is amazing. You know, I must be having a girl because it must be so different from the previous pregnancy. So it must be a different gender and whatever. Um, so the pregnancy was, was great. It was great right up until what point? Um, my 20 week ultrasound, the, um, the ultrasound that they were checking, everything and telling us a gender and all that. And we found out we were having a little girl and we were really excited. And during the ultrasound, it took a little bit longer than I thought it needed to. Um, and the doctor told me, I can't remember if it was right then or if she had called me a little bit later, um, that the baby was growing, but she was measuring a little bit behind. So she's measuring a little bit small for, for her age. And there was the question of whether or not I got pregnant when I think I did, or if it was, you know, maybe I miscalculated. So maybe she was, you know, a little smaller than we had thought because her gestational age was younger. Um, but there was absolutely no mistaking. Um, that and so she she said she felt a little uncomfortable just continuing um, without getting a little bit more in depth of a um, ultrasound and so she referred us to uh, another doctor like a specialist she referred us to a specialist so I was freaked out about going to a specialist because who wants to go to a specialist, right? Mm -hmm. What they had done first, they got another ultrasound. I think it was like a couple of weeks after that ultrasound. My timing is a little um, in my brain. I don't really remember exactly all the timing, but they just had a, another ultrasound. And in that ultrasound, they found a couple of things that were um, red flags they noticed that her heart looked a little different and something else with her stomach wasn't quite right. Anyway, so they, they referred us to a pediatric cardiologist uh, to get an ultrasound with the cardiologist. And we met with the cardiologist and she had said, she drew us a diagram of her heart, the heart that 
they saw an ultrasound and she explained that in a normal heart, um, there are four chambers and they're symmetrical and she kind of like drew a picture. And what they saw was that her, they only could see two of the chambers and they were asymmetrical. They also noticed a whole, the chambers, I don't remember all the terminology, but, um, there was a hole and, and something else. And so she actually told us that it's that in itself, the, what, what she saw wasn't a red flag for some kind of a genetic disorder. It was something that was concerning, but something that could be fixed or worked on after the baby was born. And, or there was even a chance that some of the things could resolve on their own. Mm-hmm. And so she had made it seem like it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. But that with the there was a stomach issue. They couldn't see the like the lining of the stomach or something, and which showed the baby wasn't swallowing. So just like each thing that they saw isn't a red flag in itself, but together is what mm-hmm. caused the concern. I had an amniocentesis after, so I had the ultrasounds and the cardiologist ultrasound and on these things, and because of that it was a red flag because of the multiple things. So I was told before I had an amniocentesis, I was told that it was most likely either Down syndrome or a trisomy or triploidy. And so we, we just felt really strongly that we wanted to know. We wanted to know what it was. We wanted to know what we were dealing with. You know, they even told us that there was a chance that nothing, it really may just be nothing and everything was going to be fine and, mm-hmm. you know, fixable after she was born. But I didn't feel right about hoping for that option. And so really, I was really hoping um, for Down syndrome, actually. I was really praying that I could have this sweet, wonderful Down syndrome baby because I knew that that was the only one that gave her a chance for survival. The other two... uh if she had either of the other two genetic disorders, then her chances of survival were not very good for very long. I don't know what it is. My whole life, I have had a really tender spot for someone with a disability. I don't know how to describe it, really. Every time I I would see a child in a wheelchair, I would always want to go and say something. Like, hi, you know, just, just, just say something. 
I rarely did. I, I chickened out a lot of times, but like I would see them and like the love in my heart would like grow enormously. Like I want to just like, I want to love you, you know? And I, I don't know. I wonder if it, I have a, a cousin that I grew up with very close to my age who has cerebral palsy and is in a wheelchair and we grew up together. Maybe I was able to just see that just because she's in a wheelchair doesn't mean that there's something wrong with her or, you know, like we, I loved her. I love her so much. And, and so maybe seeing that and, and being her friend and whatever um, helped me to realize that these, they're people like they, they're just like, they're just people and there's nothing wrong with them. And, and so in high school, I worked at a place that was kind of like a summer camp or a summer program for for children with disabilities and i worked with the young children the preschool age children and oh like the love i just i loved them so much it really um it really was just i don't i don't know how to, don't know how to explain it more than that and so i i have always just kind of had a sense that one of my children might possibly be born with a disability. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I guess I've kind of not prepped myself, but you know, just kind of like, if it happens, it'll happen. It'll be wonderful and great. And, um, and so I was, I was definitely hoping for, um, praying for, for a little baby girl with Down syndrome because I would love her so much and I would want her to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, well, I got the amniocentesis and, um, that was probably really one of the hardest times is they said, okay, we'll call you in two weeks or whatever. We'll call you and tell you the results. And you're like, well, uh, what are you talking about? I need to know now. And so that was waiting and waiting. It was really hard. And so the, the woman at the center, I forget even, she wasn't the doctor, but, she was, oh, the genetic counselor. That's what it was. The genetic counselor. She called me and just over the phone, she just told me that our daughter, um, has triploidy, which what it is, is that in a, a normal, healthy child, person, any of us, we, um, have 46 chromosomes, which is 23 from the, you know, mom, 23 from the dad. And, in her case, she had an extra chromosome in every set. And so she had 69 chromosomes. 
it's not compatible with life at all. And they, they said that the chances of her being born alive were very, very uh, slim. And if she was born alive, that she wouldn't be alive for very long. Hours at the most. Okay. And um, they, they kind of prepared us for that if she was born alive. But um, they said that if she's born alive, then, then they, there wouldn't be any life-saving procedures taken mm-hmm. just because it's, be there's done. nothing to be done. First of all, I was devastated. That's like the worst thing that could have happened, the worst diagnosis that I thought could ever have happened. But when we found out, there was a lot of things that were really important to us. One was we really needed support, and we really needed family, and um, we also really wanted to I don't know if enjoy the pregnancy. I don't know if that's the right word, but we, I didn't want to sit and mope about it. I didn't want to be sad all the time. And I was sad for a lot of it, but I wanted to, I wanted to find a way to, to find some good or some joy or some, something that I could hold on to. And, I started like a little silly, I don't know, opposite of a countdown. It was a count up. And I, every day I was um, excited to, to have held her one more day. You know, mm-hmm. she, I, I got to hold you every minute of every day for, for mm-hmm. 150 days. And then, you know, the next day I got to hold you every day for 151 days or however long it was. I don't remember exactly the day, the, the mm-hmm. amount of days, but um, I wanted to. I wanted to find ways to be happy. Another thing that helped, as Adrian remembers, was just to talk. Um, I think. I think the biggest thing was talking about it and sharing each other and op- being open about our own feelings. Um, I mean, we had been married just over two years at that time. So we're still fairly young, still learning how to open up to each other and being completely comfortable with that. And then also just not being afraid to share our thoughts and emotions, not only with each other, but with other people. I I remember early on when Jody was reading some communities online about other people that experienced similar, similar challenges and how a lot of people recommend that one of the best things you can do is talk about it with other people. I think Jody was very open about it with other people and very much to a point of, yes, it's very sad. And yes, we don't want to go through this. And yes, we want our daughter, but we're not going to have her right now. But I still want to talk about it. I still want to tell you about it. And so for me, I was in the middle of grad school and so just being able to tell other people about this situation I was going through definitely helped me and helped the people that I interacted with, interacted with on a daily basis to understand what I was going through and, and understand that I was willing 
and open to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think just that helped me kind of get through it. One of the many, many hard things about Jody's pregnancy was the fact that Anna just didn't grow a lot. She was obviously pregnant, pregnant enough that strangers would ask her about it, and it put her in a tricky situation sometimes. If I was at the grocery store and somebody just said, oh, how far along are you? Because they noticed I have a little bump, then I'd say, oh, I'd either make up a number, I'd lie about it. You know, I when I was, uh, you know, six months pregnant, I looked like I was maybe... Uh, two months pregnant, three months pregnant, like not very much at all. My baby bump did not get very big. And so I would lie. (laughs) And, but if it was somebody who was a little closer, closer to me, then I would just kind of say, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I am. And I just not growing. She's just not growing very much. She's just not growing. But even with all the hard things, big and small, Jody did have the mixed benefit of having another perspective on her situation. For her, at least, she knew what was coming, and she knew it didn't have to be that way. My oldest sister, she's um, 10 years older than I am, and she had a stillborn son. And um, for them, it was unexpected, completely unexpected. And I was a teenager. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember I remember the ex- her experience, and I remember being there, and I remember a lot of what she went through. When we found out about Anna, she was definitely one of the ones giving me a lot of support because she had went through it as well. She had gone through the same things, the same grief and the same heartache. She never found out. They never found out what, what really happened. And it's interesting, as we've talked about it a lot since then, for her, she really felt like it was it was good for her that it was unexpected that it was like a surprise i guess that she wasn't dwelling on it for for a long long time mm-hmm. and just interesting because for me i feel the opposite and maybe it's just because my experience was different but i feel really really grateful that that i had time to prepare and time to think about it and time to know what i wanted and from the I don't know, pregnancy or what I wanted and what I wanted for afterward as well. I I was really glad I had the time to prepare myself a little bit. One of the things she did to prepare herself and to validate her experience was to name her baby. After she was diagnosed and after we had um, tried to find a way to, you know, make this real, I guess we... We wanted to name her, and we wanted to call her by her name. We didn't want to refer to her as the baby or, you know, she. I mean, like, um, we didn't want to just, like, give her a gender and that's it. We wanted to give her a name because we felt like it was going to help make her a part of our family more. Mm-hmm. And and when everyone was referring to her as Anna, it it made her it made her more real to me. Or it made... It helped validate her life more. I I can definitely agree with that. Like, you know, it's been eight years since then. And I can't imagine, like, if we had called her the baby or anything like that, like, it would have, you know, when I picture Anna, I picture a little girl. Yeah. Yeah. You're making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't yeah. see like a, you know, like a fetus or, right. you know, a baby bump. I see a little girl. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how, what I wanted. And I, I really loved that when we did have her, she was Anna. That, that's just who she was. Cause we had been, we had been calling that, her that for months. And so when, when we got to look at her for the first time, it was, this is Anna, not, oh, oh yeah, uh, let's just call her Anna. You know, like it was, that's who she was. Mm-hmm. That's who she, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. I liked that. So at the 20 week ultrasound was when we kind of knew there was something going on. It wasn't until 26 weeks that we got the diagnosis um, from the amniocentesis. Every two weeks, we would drive an hour to the specialist and have an ultrasound just to see if her heart was still beating. Mm-hmm. And so every two weeks, we would find a babysitter for our son, leave him for a few hours, and go and Pray the whole way that there'd be a heartbeat. That was really nerve-wracking. Every time it was really hard because there was anticipation of, is, it go- is she going to be alive still or is she not? Is she, because I, I don't, didn't, didn't know. I don't know. She, um, because she was so small, um, she was measuring, at the first ultrasound, she was measuring four weeks behind. Okay. And so she really didn't grow much at all. When she was born, she was one pound, 10 ounces, and she was 36 weeks. So she didn't grow hardly at all. And so I didn't feel her very often. I could feel her moving and and I could feel a kick here and there, but it wasn't very often and she was not very active. And so I was never really sure if we were gonna go in and if she was gonna be alive or not. But when it was time, she did know. Yeah, I, I knew she had gone. I, I knew it ahead of time. I don't know how. I, you know, it was, it was a, I believe it was a Friday, and I just felt like something was different, and I, I hadn't felt her move. In a, in a bit, but that was not uncommon. And I don't know that I'm uh, by Sunday. Like my appointment was on the Tuesday. I know that. I don't know why I remember the day so well, but I I was like Friday, and then Sunday. I just knew. I knew that something had happened. I knew that that she was not alive. And I I wrote kind of a letter to her in my journal, saying, and I'm not really sure if if you're gone or not, but I, I think you are, and I'm really going to miss you. And, and I was not looking forward to the ultrasound on Tuesday because I didn't want them to tell me what I already knew. And that was really hard. It was a really, really hard visit. 
because I knew what I was not going to see. Cheetahs. All done. All right. Let's go the other one now. Here we go. A few weeks previous to us finding, to you know, for that ultrasound, we had toured the NICU, kind of showing us, you know, if she's born alive, this is where we would, you would just kind of be here and you could hold her as long as you wanted until she passed away, basically. Um, but we knew as soon as, as soon as we found out that she was no longer alive, then I would have to be induced and to have, and have her. They did tell me though that, um, really they, they said I could have as long as I needed before I was induced in order to, I don't know what the right words are, get my orders in a fair or whatever, you know, my, um, my parents flew into town and my mother-in-law came into town and to be with us and to watch my son and so. Yeah, that was just always the plan. Is what would happen is as soon as, as soon as we found out that she wasn't alive, then we would bring our family in and and be induced. I didn't really know what to expect. For my oldest son, um, he was a home birth, and so I I liked that. I liked having him as a home birth. I liked the natural birth. I I, I really liked that. And so now to have a medically induced hospital birth, it was not what I, uh, I just didn't know what to expect. And so it was the Friday, the Thursday after my appointment. So two days later and I went in and they started me on, I forget exactly what it was. They, they did something. <laughs> what did they do? Put something to soften my cervix is really what it was. And so then they said, we'll check on you in 12 hours to see if anything's happened before we really induce you. And so that was terrible. It was terrible to be in the hospital, just sitting there doing nothing, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And it was like so boring. And I remember there was like not one thing on TV and we were like, it was so boring. <laughs> it's all I just remember just like being so bored at the hospital but after a few hours, so that was at eight o'clock in the morning. And so they said, okay, at eight o'clock in the evening, we'll come and check on you and then we'll start Pitocin. But by, oh, I got to think timing wise. I forget after, after five or six hours, I was kind of uncomfortable feeling kind of crampy and kind of feeling not so good. And 
everyone was like, oh, it's fine. It's just, you know, you're just, I don't know, getting ready. They kind of just blew them off. And um, it was around five-ish that I really was like, I was totally having contractions. But I kind of assumed that they were just I get nothing because they told me it was nothing. They were just waiting to have my cervix softened enough so they can induce me. Like I'm, you know, so I just didn't, okay, whatever. But they were, I, I remember they were painful. And my mother was in um, the hospital room with me talking to the doctor, just chatting about life, having a grand old time. They were like really just like hitting it off, really just having a friendly conversation. And I'm in the bed. I remember thinking like, they have got to stop talking. I was so mad that they were just like chatting. Come on, I'm having a baby. Like I was, I don't know. I was like, you know, I was just mad or something. And then the doctor was like, oh, all right, well, have a good night. And he totally left. And he left and he went home. <laughs> and because they assumed that nothing was happening. And so it was right around um, eight o'clock in the evening. So when they were going to come check me or whatever, it was right before then. And I totally, like, she was coming. Like, I I was having this baby. I was, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I, no one was in the room. It was just Adrian and I. And he it was right by my bed. And I, I just, like, yelled at him, she's coming. She's coming. Get somebody. Like, I, remember, I don't remember. It was crazy. And so he runs to the hallway. He tries to flag down a nurse or somebody. Like, she's. She's pushing. She's she's pushing. And um, so the ever the nurse on call or the physician on call or whatever came running in and she's suiting up and it's like okay well nice to meet you I'm doctor so and so and you know let's have this baby and but so she comes in and my water broke and because she was so tiny she was one pound right one pound ten ounces mm-hmm. I didn't have to really push mm-hmm. she kind of like um, just kind of was born, you know, she yeah. kind of, kind of, I don't know, fell out, but she, she just kind of came. And as soon as I had her, I started bawling and I couldn't stop crying. I, I remember saying, it's so weird, to, like I had to justify or something, my tears, but I, I remember saying, I'm not crying because it hurt. I'm crying because I'm so sad. So sad. And, um, so sad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. They, um, once I had her, they kind of took her and put her on a table or like the little bed to kind of clean me up and, and, you know, after birth and and whatever. But, um, I, I was really concerned because I had, I knew that she had passed away about a week previous Mm -hmm. and I knew that wasn't very good for her body. Right. And... I was concerned about, um, about her and 
I didn't care if she wasn't, didn't look good. I didn't care about that, but I, they wouldn't, they like, they didn't give her to me right away. And I was really sad. I was really anxious. I wanted her. And they were, whatever, I don't know if they were even doing to her, cleaning her, I don't even know, maybe they were just working on me, I, I don't know, but I wanted her, I wanted to hold her, and um, my husband went over to the bed where she was at, and then came to me, and and I said something like, how does she look? And he said, she's beautiful. I really loved that. He said that. Mm-hmm. Um, because in all honesty, she she wasn't beautiful for anyone else. And when the doctor, my doctor came in, this he came in right away, like, you know, they called him or whatever. And so he was there before, before they even handed me my baby. And... I remember he said something like, I wish you don't have to, you didn't have to see her this way. And I was really offended. I was really offended by him saying that. He really was just being very nice and he really was meaning like, mm-hmm. I wish this didn't happen to you. But I, it really hurt my feelings because I felt like this is my baby and I love my, I love her so much. This isn't, this is my daughter. Mm-hmm. You can't say that to me. And, um, and I, I told him, I said, I just want her. I just want her. And so they bundled her up and, and handed her to me. And I just didn't want to let her go. Because she had been, she had passed away a week before I had her, her skin was really thin, very, very fragile. And um, her skull had actually been fractured. Um through the birth canal. And so, um, she was very, very fragile. And so they had wrapped her in blankets so that we could hold her. So I, we, I held her for a long time and then the nurses took her and put her back on the bed. And then we took some pictures. My mother was there and she took some pictures, um, as you know, private personal pictures for us that we could keep and not really show anyone else. Mm-hmm. And then, so it was even nighttime, nighttime, I don't know the time, but and then it was like, okay, go to sleep, go to bed. And I could not go to bed. I could not fall asleep. My mother stayed. I think my mother stayed <laughs> and she fell asleep on the couch and my husband was there and, and I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't fall asleep. After a few hours, she was like on the bed, on her bed, a little ways away, kind of across the room. And I just, I just ached for her. And so I got up and I sat in a rocking chair next to her bed. And I just, just watched, just stared at her. I just, I just wanted to look at her. I just wanted her. And I wrote in my journal, I kind of wrote this big message to her, this big letter of how much I love her and how, how her bed was too far away from my bed and how my arms just ached to have her. I couldn't sleep. And not too long after that, the nurse came in and I, I loved this nurse. She was so good to me. She 
she asked what was, what was going on, you know, what's, what's, what's up? And I, I said, I just want to hold her. And she said, honey, you can hold her whenever you want. She was like, you can hold her as long as you want. And so I got back in bed and she gave her to me and, and I could fall asleep. That's the only time I could sleep was when she was in my arms. I think for me, the feeling and the impression that I had at that time was, this is my daughter. And I, I mean, I, I cried. I was sad that she, she was gone, but I was able to hold her little body and she had this long, dark, curly hair and she was so petite. But it was, it was hard, but it was also very special. And it was a time where Jody and I were really able to, to come together and um, realize that we are still a family. This little girl is still part of our family. We named her Anna because that was the name we were going to give our first daughter. And she truly is our first daughter. In uh, other hospitals, I know that there's... Um, when you have a baby, they play some some sweet tune to kind of announce it across the hospital that a baby was born, and mm-hmm. and at this hospital they made sure that those um, it went, didn't go through the speakers on that floor, okay. and um, things like that, where they really were very sensitive, mm-hmm. and the nurses that I had were amazing, and. Um, one of them, you know, had told me her experience. She lost a baby as well. And so she really, I felt like she really wanted me to have the experience that I needed, mm-hmm. be able to hold my baby, to see her and to love her. And, and then, um, the next day, another nurse came in and, and got handprints and footprints of her. And they also gave me a box. It was really beautiful, beautifully decorated little um, box. And inside it had anything to do with, you know, uh, the hospital bracelet with her name on it. And just like a s- tiny little stuffed animal. And um, maybe like a card uh, of sympathy or, you know, just a couple of little things that really just meant a lot. It meant a lot because mm-hmm. I knew that they cared. I knew they cared. Yeah, I just remember that day that you were in the hospital giving birth, Anna. <sighs> Sorry. And I just, I had school that day. I had my really long class. It was my six-hour class. And, like, I remember, I guess I didn't know that you were going to, you know, have to wait 12 hours from the time that they started you. Yeah, but I just remember, like, during the breaks in my class, going and calling mom and um, our mother-in-law. <laughs> and, you know, how's Jody? How's Jody? You know, she had the baby yet? And <sighs> anyway, <laughs> I guess I worry that I didn't um, <laughs> convey as much to you at the time how much I was concerned about you and cared about you and... 
was anxious for you and Anna and Adrian and, <laughs> and I, you know, I think I have a greater appreciation now of, yeah, the kind of grief that you must have gone through. Anna was born on a Thursday, and that weekend Jody's and Adrian's families gathered, all who could make it there, though I wasn't among them, to bury her. She was buried in a resting box. Jody didn't want to call it a casket her uncle had made. And it was the most beautiful, beautiful, ornate, teeny tiny little beautiful box lined with pink satin, and it was gorgeous. It meant a lot to me that he did that for me. And then another aunt of mine made two little dresses for Anna with the hopes that we would bury her, a burial dress and then a little pink dress that we would bury her in in the dress. And we didn't end up able to because we couldn't dress her because we couldn't really touch her very much. But, But I kept those things. That was a real indication I guess of all of just how much I felt loved by by all these people all my family and then at the her funeral we did have a funeral we did have a a little gravesite I don't know what to call it other than a funeral just our family members and a couple of friends and my sister-in-law our sister-in-law Benta she had made this really gorgeous floral arrangement to put on top of the casket and the resting box. and um. All of these things that people did, the resting box, the dresses, the flowers, meant a lot to Jody. And there were little things too. Any little thing that anybody did to reach out meant a lot. There were lots of sympathy cards and books and flowers and potted plants, some of which she still has. I think the saddest, one of the saddest times for me was when the sympathy card stopped. Because that's when I realized that everyone else had moved on. And it was kind of done. They were done. And I wasn't ready to move on yet. And so that was hard. Although the hospital Anna was born at offered grief counseling and other services, Jody didn't feel like she needed it. She grieved in her own ways and gave herself as much time as she needed to heal and move forward. I have a lot of faith, and I think my faith in and my belief and of what happens after this life really helped a lot. And I, um, sure, I, I still grieve for sure. And, but I, I don't know. I just, I guess I just didn't feel like I needed that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't necessarily regret it either. Okay. Mm-hmm. Though, um, I'll be honest, I did join a chat group. Okay. A chat group online, and that was kind of my counseling, I guess, or mm-hmm. my therapy, or my grief. You know, I, I think I was like even anonymous, and I. But I joined this group for mothers that had babies with triploidy that, that had died, and it was a really good place for me to be able to vent when I needed to vent, mm-hmm. and 
I would get love and, um, you know, people saying, I've been through it too. I totally know. I totally get it. It sucks. You know, like, and, um, because I, f- I felt like you can only, you can only burden your family so much. And, and burden is not the right word, but I, I can only come to you so many times before it starts to get old. I don't, I don't know. That's kind of what I think. And maybe that's not right, true, but, yeah. but, um, there's a time, there's a time when, Everyone else has moved on. And if you aren't at that point, then it's, it's hard for everyone. It's hard for the person who's dealing with it, but it's also hard for everyone else to hear that you're like, to hear about it. Like, okay, haven't we, haven't we moved on yet? Like, aren't you, everything's fine. And when you're not fine, like, I don't know. And so I felt like this is a good place to be anonymous that I wasn't, uh, you know, no one, I didn't really care who knew, but I don't know. I, um, mm-hmm. it was a good place for me to vent and not feel judged or feel like people were like, well, haven't you moved on yet? So yeah. that was my version of a support, um, a grief counseling, I guess. Aside from her grief and not wanting to burden those around her with it, Jody felt an intense sense that something was missing that she needed someone soft and warm to hold. When you have a baby and you have this ache, this need for your baby, mm-hmm. and especially when my milk came in, mm-hmm. I didn't have a baby to feed. I didn't have my baby. And um, it kind of became an obsession to me. Mm-hmm. I, I needed a baby. I really needed a baby so badly. I carried around a stuffed animal mm-hmm. for weeks because my arms felt so empty. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I, I didn't go back to my six-week follow-up appointment at the doctor's because I didn't want them to tell me I needed to wait. I didn't want them to tell me that I had to wait three months or whatever to, in order to try having a baby. No, I needed a baby. I needed a baby badly. And so we did right away. We got pregnant right away. And so my son, my next son was born nine months later, obviously. And so I was, I, I was pregnant almost for an entire 18 months. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what it felt like with a little, you know, a month break in the middle. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant for a long time and that was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> it's like an I, elephant. I was pregnant as long as an elephant. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> the pregnancy was a healthy pregnancy with a healthy baby, but that did little to ease Jody's anxiety. They told me that triploidy is just a fluke, right? It's just yeah. a genetic chromosomal fluke. But guess what? If it happens once, it could happen again, right? Right. Like, what? A, who's to say that it's not going to happen again? And so... Absolutely, totally terrified, totally freaked out. Mostly, uh, well, you know, not even enough that I did not get an anamniocentesis for him, mm-hmm. but um, I did, you know, was obsessive about, you know, ultrasound, is everything okay? Will you please check the heart? Will you please check the stomach? Will you check these things that were red flagged last time? Make sure that, you know, and um, and they were all fine. And, and I appreciated 
this doctor was kind of like, whenever you want an ultrasound, we'll let you get an ultrasound. Like mm-hmm. for peace of mind, you can have an ultrasound whenever you want to. Okay. And so I didn't really take advantage of it that often, but I was really glad that I had the option. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually, uh, I don't know if it's irony or, uh, I don't really know what the right word is, but in one of the ultrasounds, actually they showed that there was, um, something in the brain, a little tumor or a little, um, I forget exactly what they said. Mm-hmm. And I was so like freaked out. Are you kidding me? There's something else that's wrong. And the doctor was like, don't Google it. Whatever you do, don't <laughs> Google it. It's not as bad as you think it is. He was kind of like, it's, it's not bad. Don't go into the internet. Do not look, do not research it. Most likely it'll go away. Mm-hmm. And it, and it did by the next ultrasound. It wasn't even, um, and it was a non-issue by then. Nicole, like really? Yeah. I'm so slack here. <laughs> There's never a time when I felt like I was safe Okay. when I was pregnant with Peter. Mm-hmm. There was never a, a safe moment. Even after that 36-week mark, oh, I'm not safe yet. Like, I, I, uh, there mm-hmm. was no point when I felt safe until he was in my arms. It's been eight years now, and Jody's grief has evolved and changed into a celebration and a memorial for her little girl. In the beginning, it was hard because... The first couple of years, I feel kind of guilty not thinking about her all the time or not having her part of our life all the time. And there are like every holiday was really hard because you think, you know, like I should have my baby. I should have Anna should be here, but I don't think about her all the time every day. And so I have that kind of that guilt, like, well, should I be thinking about her? Should I not? And, and so like, I didn't really know what. I was supposed to do. There really is no, there is no supposed to, but I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to grieve? How am I supposed to like, what am I supposed to do? And so after a few years, I decided, maybe it was even one or two years. I don't know. We decided that we would have a little birthday party for her. And so every year on her birthday, we bake pink cupcakes I have a little pink birthday party and Mm -hmm. pink balloons or streamers or whatever I have on hand. And we have a little dessert birthday party and we sing happy birthday to Anna. And, and now I, we talk about Anna to our other children. I've had four children since Anna and we, we kind of talk about her to them. I, I want her to be a part of our family still. And, and I like that my, my children know that she's part of our family. Uh, sometimes when I'm talking about my five children, one of my children will correct me. No, mom, we have, there's six children. There's six kids in our family. Or, you know, well, what about, what about Anna? What about Anna? And, and my, um, my daughter, she often will remind us that she has a sister. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like that. I like having that, her being part of our family. Jody told me that you have some photos that 
that you just keep for yourselves. Do you think that there will be any point that you share them with your other children? I think so. Uh, once they get a, a little bit older and, and more mature and uh, kind of understand the, the the sanctity and the sacredness of life, I guess. And uh, um, I think it's especially when they go through challenges, I think it's a time that we can kind of talk about that a little bit more and saying, you know what, we've gone through some difficult times. I mean, kind of branching off that question, it was, it was really fascinating when I would share it or when Jody would share this experience with people. People would come out of the woodwork and say, oh yeah, my, my mother went through a similar situation or my sister or we went through a similar situation where it was just, it's amazing how many people have lost children and it's, it's not necessarily something that gets talked about in the open because for so many people, it's, it's a precious memory that they have a very difficult memory very challenging, but it's also a precious memory that they have knowing that they went through it and they struggled through it, but they got out of it even stronger. I asked Jody what her experience had done for her as a person, how it had changed her. I, a lot. <laughs> it really strengthened my faith in God, actually. I always really had a testimony and believed in God, but I think that this experience, I had to rely more on Him, lean on Him. I don't, I don't really know how to say it, really, but um, I just felt like my faith was really strengthened, and I felt so loved by God. And I felt strongly that, that God isn't punishing me, that this wasn't because of something I did or something that, like, there's something, he was giving this to me, you know, because I had, because of, he didn't love me. I really felt the opposite. I really felt like he gave me Anna because he loves me so much. And, he wanted me to be able to feel that much love and he wanted me to be able to, to know, to know the same kind of love that he had. And I, I, I feel like I did. It makes me value life more. It makes me value my living children made me appreciate how much um how special life is and how amazing life is and how amazing what it takes to to create this healthy body yeah like how amazing that is and i guess it really helped me to be able to just really love my children more each one is is such a gift and a blessing to me. I have to say that for the life of me, I can't fathom how so many pregnancies, I mean, I guess for a long time, I guess I felt like 
so many pregnancies turn out well, you know, (laughs) this is amazing. But I also kind of feel sometimes now like, oh, but a lot of them go really badly. Right. Right. (laughs) And anyway, so amazing. It is. Yeah. I mean, it is just amazing how, how, when so many things can go wrong, it's amazing when they go go right. right. (laughs) Yeah. I totally think so. Like there are so many things that could go wrong. It's amazing. And I'm so grateful for mm-hmm. my children that are right. One of the greatest experiences that I had in this whole situation was, I don't remember exactly the, the time frame, but it was, it was within weeks of, of, of her passing away, was I actually got to feel our little Anna kick. And that was and is a a very precious memory to me. And that really brought it to, really brought it to the forefront of my life and how this, this little child, this little girl is, is alive and she's in there. And I, I'm a part of this. That was one of the big times where it was sad, but also very joyful. And that is what we have from Jody and Adrian today. Thank you to both of you for sharing this. The story of your Anna is a transformative and precious one for each of you and for your family. So thank you for trusting us with it. As it happens, October 11th is Anna's birthday. So we have a request. Throughout the interview, Jody mentioned how important the support of family and friends was and still is to her. So... We're hoping you can join us in reaching out to Jody and Adrian to help them celebrate Anna. We'll be posting on our Facebook page, and we invite you to leave a note for them. And next week, we'll be posting a mini bonus episode. Throughout this experience, Jody wrote her thoughts and feelings in her journal, and she was kind enough to read it for us, and kind enough to share it with all of us. So thanks again, Jody and Adrian, and to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. Thanks to the amazing Ryan Barnhart, who we could not do without. Thanks to Ben Howell and Ellen Barnhart for the music. Thanks to Micah Heiselt for all that you do. Hey, Lizzie, did you know that Micah can bench press 4,000 pounds? Oh, I know it. Tune in in two weeks for our next episode. You can listen to it on our website. You can also download it from iTunes. And while you're there, leave a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. All right. Till next time.